Father God, you have blessed us with this holy, these holy words. And Lord, we know that Paul was carried along by your Spirit as he wrote these words. And these words, Lord, were not just for the church in Colossae, but they were for us. So Lord, would your Spirit so minister to us this morning that it changes our trajectory and more precisely helps us fix our eyes on Christ and helps us to learn how to pray God-centered prayers for the sake of your kingdom so that ultimately, God, you are glorified. Help me too, God, this morning to be faithful, to stick closely to your text. And this we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Here's a simple fact. What you pray for reveals something about you. It reveals something about what you believe. It reveals a lot about what is a priority in your life. When I think about praying with my kids, many times we'll be praying and we'll do our evening prayers and uh, as I'm laying with my son or with my daughter and we'll be praying. And a lot of times it's for health, it's for food, it's for sick people. Uh, I remember even working in a Christian school and often you'll get prayer requests and what do you get prayer requests for? You get prayer requests for grandma who's not doing so well, fallen, broken hip, or something. You'll get prayers for guppies and for puppies. And it depends on what is heavy on your heart. It reveals what is important to you. The content of prayer requests are very, very revealing. They indicate something about the heart of a man, a woman, or a child. The question is, what do you pray for people that you really love, that you have a, a burden on their heart. You, you have this burden for them, and you cannot help but to pray these kind of prayers. Well, Colossians 1, 19 through 14, is just a treasure trove of things for which you can be praying for people. Our theme in this series has been to discover what it means to live a life with Jesus Christ at the very center, at the core, and the rest of our life just to orbit around Jesus Christ. Our life, our ministry, the way that we look at everything is going to be Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused. He is the very core. So having Jesus Christ at the core of your life means that you will see everything through the lens of his life, his death, his resurrection. And this, this mentality and this choice to have Christ at the center as your focus, as your lens, living with Jesus Christ at the center should radically change everything. But especially the way that you pray. Or maybe I should say it this way. When Jesus is at your core, your prayers do change. They change. Colossians uh, 1, 19-14 gives us a glimpse at the heart of the Apostle Paul as he tells the Colossian church exactly what he is praying for. Exactly. 
He loves them dearly, and his prayers reflect this yearning desire of this spiritual father for his spiritual children, even children that he has never met face to face. He is sharing his prayer that he has for them. And I want you to have this text even embedded in your own heart so that when you are led to pray for someone, you will pray God-centered prayers. When you pray for someone you love, you will be praying God-centered prayers. Colossians 1, 9 through 14 really only has one prayer. And this, the prayer is this. God, I pray that they will know you so that their lives would please you. I want them to know you so that their, their lives, the totality of their lives, would be lives that please you. That's really Paul's prayer here. So our, our, our goal this morning is to unpack this prayer so that we can pray it with a level of depth that God intended us to be praying it. And at the end of the ser- or after the ser- sermon, we are going to be actually praying this prayer together in small groups. And some of you, all of a sudden, your anxiety level is, going, is already shooting up because you're going, man, I'm going to be praying and I don't know what to pray. Don't feel like you have to pray because God hears your prayers, whether they be silent or if you feel led to pray out loud. It doesn't matter. But I think it's good for us to get into practices of learning how to pray God-centered prayers. So we're going to have an opportunity to pour out your heart to God for someone that you love. So let's break this down. Starting at verse 9. That they would know you. That they would know you. Paul tells the people that the report that he heard about them from Epaphras has caused him to continually be praying for them. His mind is constantly thinking about these people. His heart is filled with a love for them and it causes him to pray. He, he had told them this already in verses 3 to 8. But in those verses, he told them why he was praying for them. In other words, he was praying for them because of their faith in Christ, for the love of the, the, the saints, and for their hope that was in heaven. That's why he's praying for them. In verses 9 through 14, he tells them what he was actually praying for. Now, if you look at this, at first glance, it looks like there are many things that Paul is praying for. Lots of things. If you read these verses quickly, you might think that there's four, five, or six things that are really heavy in, uh, on Paul's heart, a burden on Paul's heart. But actually, there's only one prayer request. And that it's so vast and it's so sweeping and so powerful that everything flows from it. Paul's singular prayer for them was that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Everything else flows from that prayer. His prayer is for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and everything else explains what that is going to be looking like. Now, when I use the word will, many of you 
kind of have, honestly, a theological problem or uh, you carry a lot of baggage when we talk about being filled with God's will. You, you immediately start thinking about God's will as something in the future, right? Man, I just pray for God's will for my life. In other words, you're saying, I'm really praying that God would help me lead today, tomorrow, and next year. I, I'm really praying for God's will when it comes to a job, right? That God leads me to a job or to a person or to a, an occupation or whatever. You think about God's will as God's forecasted future for your life. And you want to walk in a way that's worthy of that will, right? But the reality is that it does mean that. God's will certainly includes that. But that is a very limited definition that does not fit Paul's tone right here. So when you hear... When we start praying that these people that you have a burden for be filled with the knowledge of his will, you're not just praying for their tomorrow activities. Colossians 1.9, this image of God's will is an understanding of who God is, what are his desires, and what he wants. It's used in the same way in Colossians 4.12 when Paul says that Epaphras prays that they may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. The word will can be translated as something that is wished for or desired. In other words, the will of God can mean so much more than God's plan for the future. It means learning about what God desires and what God really wants. And many of you know this. Many of you really work this out in your, your daily lives. Let me give some examples. Think about the knowledge of the will of your best friend or your spouse. You want to have a knowledge of their will, not just their future, but you, you want to so deeply know them that you study them and that you act in such a way that pleases them. I, I am a guy that uh, has a very short memory. Um, and on my phone, if my wife so wants, she could discover how I am studying my wife. I have an app called AnyList. It's, it's one of those apps that share where we share together our grocery list. And uh, it's really helpful because she'll tell me something before we go grocery shop. That when I go grocery shopping, hey, Paul, why don't you pick up... Uh, a dozen eggs, a stick of butter, and a gallon of milk. And then it's like, okay, and I walk out of the house, and what do I do? I totally forget. I have no clue. So it keeps us connected. But I also have another list on here called the gift list. I am constantly watching and studying, and I, as I see her eyes light up in a store or as she's talking about something, and all of a sudden I go, oh, I am going to, I'm going to score because I know what is a burden, a desire, something that will please her in such a way that she will be blessed, and I will be blessed, and her children will be blessed, and you will be blessed. I, you, men, you do this even around anniversaries, unless you're one of those last minute, oh, dang, it's our anniversary. What am I going to get her? 
in the next three hours besides a card. But we study and we learn and we watch and we shop and we, we really study people. And that's what really Paul is praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in such a way that it leads you to a place where you are walking in a way that pleases God. So Paul's prayer for this church is that they would live in such a way that they would be filled with this kind of knowledge of God meaning that they would be completely saturated with a spiritual understanding of who God is and what God desires. They want them, Paul's praying, God, would you completely saturate their minds, their hearts, so that they know who you are and what you desire. He's praying, God, I want them to know you. To know, not just head knowledge know, but heart knowledge know. Notice as well in verse 9 that this kind of knowledge of God is not just an intellectual knowledge. It, it is a deeper spiritual knowledge. The text says that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul is praying that they would know God and this kind of wisdom and understanding is something that one, God does and that happens by the Spirit. And I trust that you, you know very well, you realize that not everybody who is knowledgeable about God knows God. Right? That's, that's true. You may know a lot of facts about God, but that doesn't mean that you know God. Smart does not equal spiritual. Hell is going to be filled with some very smart people. In fact, I would guess that there are some of you who are just even brokenhearted as parents that you, 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 pr would pr you pray this way, God, our son, our daughter is so smart, but he has reasoned you right out of his or her life. And that may be somebody that is close to you. Man, this person thinks that they are so smart that they got all the I's dotted and T's crossed about you, but reality, they have so reasoned you out of their life. And how does this happen? 1 Corinthians 2 helps us here. Verses 12 through 14. Now we have, we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, the natural person. In other words, a person who is apart from Christ, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, a person cannot know God 
until they are converted, repenting of their sins and trusting in Christ. Nothing associated with Christ or anything associated with the church makes sense to the natural man because he cannot understand without the Spirit's work in his or her life. So let me bottom line this and just make it very simple for you. No one knows God. No one knows God until they accept the most fundamental and most foundational spiritual truth. And what is that? A God is holy. And I am a sinner under God's judgment. I need to repent and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins. Knowing God starts and ends there. So what does God want? What is God's will? First, God's will is that you repent and trust Christ. That is first and foremost. Secondly, God wants His children to grow deeper and deeper in knowing and understanding Him. Repenting and trusting and growing deeper and deeper in the knowledge of who God is. Now you remember there's only one prayer here, right? I want them to know you. And this kind of prayer could be prayed out like this in a few different ways. For a son who is the smartest, most intellectual, got it all together young man who is in rebellion against God. God, I want him to know you. For a daughter who grew up in a godly home, confesses Christ, but seems to be drifting farther and farther and farther away. God, I want you to I want her to know you. Not just know, I want you to reveal yourself to her so that she knows you. Her heart will be so saturated that she knows you deeply. For the person who is in the midst of a really, really hard time in their life, who is trying to understand why this is happening and how it connects to God's purpose. God, I want this person to know you. For the godly child who, who has so much potential and you just want them to use his or her, her gifts for the glory of God. God, I want that child to know you, your desires. And you could even be praying it for your own heart. God, I want to be filled with the knowledge of your will. I want to know you. God wants us to pray this way. You want to know why? Because he wants us to know him too. And that's a beautiful and powerful thing. God wants us to know him deeply and intimately. But the effect of this knowledge of God's will is incredible. 
And we go on to verses 10, and 11, uh, 10 through 14. And it takes Paul really five verses to identify all the amazing ramifications of knowing God. You could boil down this longing of Paul's heart to a simple statement. I want them to know you so that they will please you. I want them to know you so that they will please you. And verse 10 is very important. Their knowledge of God's will, what, what God wants, will result in the direct effect of how they live. Their lives will please him in at least two ways. First, their, their lives will fit according to who God is. Their lives will fit according to who God is. And two, their lives will function in accordance with who God, with what God loves. So knowing God leads to lives that fit and to function. So let me break that down into fitting and functioning. First, a life that fits. Paul would have nothing to do with the separation between what somebody believes and how they then live. He would have nothing to do. That's a false dichotomy. You cannot just believe this and then live in another way. They, they are inseparable. And this is the main message of chapter 3 that we'll get to way later on. But in verse 10, we see the knowledge of God leads to a walk that is, they are to walk in a manner that is worthy to the Lord. This means that you understand who Jesus is and the actions of your life match what you know about Christ. The actions of your life match what you know about Christ. So you, you can see the problem if you don't underst understand who Christ is. If you don't know him, you won't know what does and doesn't fit. When you know Christ, a life that fits is pretty obvious. As an individual comes to Christ, say that you very quickly realize what doesn't fit with the worth of Christ. All of a sudden you go, you're, you're like all the blinders have been taken off and the, the blinds have been raised and all of a sudden you go, oh my word, I, I can't be doing this. I can't be speaking this way. I can't be living this way anymore. And all of a sudden you go, that doesn't fit with a life that is worthy of Christ. I have to put these things off. And I put on new things. It doesn't fit anymore. My life in Christ has a different fit, a different mold, a different way of living and thinking and breathing and functioning in this world. It no longer fits this way. And there are a few things more painful for me as a pastor and probably for you as Christians than watching someone live a life that doesn't fit with Christ. You, it just breaks your heart. You're going, you're going down that road? You profess Christ, you know Christ, and yet you do this? Your heart breaks, and it kills you. And you, 
you have this burden and you pray for them and you counsel them and you, you try to manipulate things, don't you? After a while, you just say, well, let's not do this. Why don't you come with me? And they still find themselves going down this way and it breaks your heart because if you truly are a follower of Christ Jesus, that doesn't fit anymore. You know what I'm talking about? A life that fits is a life that pleases Christ. In other words, Jesus sees us being like him and he, he loves it. You might compare it to like when a mother, uh, how a mother might feel when her daughter chooses to wear her wedding dress. And the mom kind of sits back and goes, oh, that is beautiful. It fits. Maybe we need to take in some or let out a little bit. But that dress fits. It fits. And Jesus is filled with joy, even more so, when he sees the glorification of God multiplied in and through our lives. When our lives fit more and more, he is pleased with a life that fits. But now a life that functions. Everything that follows uh, the second half of verse 10 through 14 is an exp uh, explanation of what a life looks like that pleases him. Again, we see Paul's emphasis on this intimate knowledge of God that, that does something. This knowledge of God actually is working, doing something. It's functioning. So real spiritual maturity or really knowing God is directly linked to how we live. What happens here at the corner of Cedar and Wood Street every Sunday is not even close to the sum total of functional Christianity. I want you to remember that. What happens here is just a catalyst for everything else in your life. So, so what does a life that functions look like? First is this. Fruit leading to greater knowledge of God. Fruit leading to greater knowledge of God. The text says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This means that there is a direct relationship between knowing God, bearing fruit, and knowing God more. Let me say that again. There's a direct relationship between knowing God, bearing fruit, and knowing God more. I think it works out like this. I come to know who God is in such a deep way that my life looks more and more like Christ. And as I do what he, he calls me to do, as I live faithfully into a life that fits, I, I start seeing fruit. 
I start bearing fruit. I start living and things happen. And there's encouraging things. As when I get pressed in, I'm bearing fruit. When, I, when I'm talking with people, there's life that, my life is bearing fruit. And when I do this, the more I, I, I'm bearing fruit and the more that I know who God is and what he has done, all those things start to increase my knowledge of who God is. In other words, bearing fruit helps me to learn more and more about God. I love hearing stories about what God is up to in your life. Why? Not just because I need a, a pat on the butt and an encouragement along the way. It's because when I hear these things, it shows me a glimpse, of a bigger picture of who God is and what God is up to. It shows me more and more about the God who has saved me. When I hear about the fruit of God's work in your life, it increases my knowledge of God. And it gets me excited. So pray that God would make either you or a loved one more spiritually fruitful so that they or others could learn more and more about God. Second, strength in suffering. Strength in suffering. The second manifestation of a life that is pleasing to God and that which we pray for, for other people, is, is for spiritual strength and suffering such that a person will endure, endure and be joyfully patient. This strength comes from, from God. Thanks be to God. This, this strength comes from God with all power and according to His glorious might. So that is um, the kind of strength when, when God spoke in Genesis chapter 1, what happened? The whole creation bounced into existence. And so that strength is available to us with all power according to his limited might? Uh, available in this second might? No, according to his glorious might. The idea is that their strength would be supplied to them and it is directly tied to God's power. God's power to endure, to make it through during this painful, this suffering time. God is able to carry them through according to his might. And I love it. Thank God, because I'll tell you, I have limited strength. And I have limited power. But God has unending, limitless power. So the spiritual strength prayed for here is tied to learning to bear up under something with great and joyful patience. They're able to stand up underneath whatever is pushing down on them, not according to their own strength, but to the strength that God supplies. 
So the heartfelt prayer is for a loved one's ability to be spiritually strong while the pressure of hardship or pain grows. God, I, I pray. I pray for my friend who is going through a tremendous amount of pain in this moment. And it looks like they're about ready to crumble. Lord, I am praying, God, that you will supply them with your strength, your glorious might, and that they will be able to stand up underneath it. Not with their strength, but yours. How many of you know somebody who is just going through a really, really rough time? Do you ever wonder what to pray? You don't pray, God, just take away these things. Take away. No, God, may they be able to stand up underneath this with your strength. This is placed in their life for some reason that we don't understand at this time. For their sanctification, for their holiness, so that they may know God more. Lord, would you supply them your strength? Pray this. God, give them power directly from you to help them be strong. third thing that we see in verses 12 through 14 is gratitude in grace. This is kind of the third and final mark for which Paul prays in this overarching, uh, overarching thankfulness. But what, what is he really thankful for? Well, listen to it. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. And what has he done? Not only delivered us, he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What do you hear here? The gospel, the good news of Christ. Do you see it? It's all over verses 12 through 14. Redemption, forgiveness, deliverance from the domain of darkness, a qualification to share in the inheritance. All these are words tied to the work of Christ in the good news. And, all the, and it was the Father through the Son who accomplished this. And I hope you realize that you that the more that you understand grace, and if you really understand who God is, then you will see life through this continual lens of gratitude. Ups and downs. The battle line for gratitude is not just whether or not you'll be thankful. The battle line is whether or not you understand God. And do you know when this is tested? When it's when God does something really hard or really confusing in your life and 
can you still thank him because you really know him? Maybe you know someone today who has had some hard stuff in their life and you long for them to learn how to root their gratitude in God, in the gospel. This is why, friends, this is why we have to help one another connect the gospel to our everyday lives and learn to celebrate the gospel. The gospel is not just what saves us. It is the thing that helps us every day. It carries us through. Because here's the reality. When hard stuff happens, the gospel is all that you have. Friends will fail. I'll fail. Financial resources will be depleted. You are going to be disappointed a thousand times over. The only thing that will never fail is Jesus Christ. And so we've got to connect one another to the gospel. And remember, this is for your everyday life. He will never fail you. He may fail you. She may fail you. This job may fail you. But you know what? Jesus Christ will never fail you. Be glad in that. Rejoice in that. Stand up underneath that and remember This is the good news. God will never fail you. He'll he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is with you. This is who God is. You, because of that, you can have hope for tomorrow. Don't forget that. So when it hits the fan, you stand and say, thanks be to God. I've got a God who will never fail. I may have it all over my face and my life looks like it hit, hit it really bad, but you know what? I've got Jesus, and I can stand here and testify to his strength to carry me through. And when it looks bleak, there's light. And I have hope. And I can never forget that. And so we pray. God, help them to please you by giving thanks to you for all that you have done, even in their darkest moments. A life that functions in God's grace should yield fruit leading to more knowledge. It should lead to strength in suffering. And it should lead to gratitude in God. I know there's some of you who just ache for a family member, a friend, a counselee. And you just want them to be like that. And the reality is that God invites us to pray for them in this way. And this prayer invites us to pray God-saturated prayers that lead to fruit that ultimately pleases God. So in light of this text, I want you to start thinking, maybe this is, if you're not a note taker, you can start kind of writing down these three categories for which we will be praying. There's three people, and maybe there's there's more for you. But for me, I'm just going to kind of nail it down to three this morning. Three kinds of people that I want you to consider as we pray in a little bit. First, Is there someone 
in your world, in your circle, whose godliness and growth thrills you? Think about it. Who's that person that you look at their life and you just go, I love what's going on there. Is there someone who is starting to turn a corner who, who is just on this upward growth you know, trajectory of, wow, look at what is going on in their life. And, and you just want to see them ascend more and more and more and more to the glory of God. Maybe there's a little bit of jealousy in your heart because I want that, but you are thrilled to see it in their life. Pray God-centered kind of prayers. God, help them to know you even more. And then can I encourage you to do something? Let them know that you are praying for them. Inspire them and encourage them. You know, I, I love what God is doing in your life. And I just, I love seeing this happen and this happen, that while in the midst of this, you are just growing and it is exciting. And so I just want to let you know, I am praying for you. I, I am so thankful for what God is doing in your life. How often do we say those kind of things? It's often when it hits the bottom, right? Man, can I pray for you? Wow, it really sucks right now. And then you, that's when you kind of come around people. But wouldn't it be great that as we are watching God working in their lives, we say, I love what God is doing in you. And I'm praying, you know what I'm praying for you? That this God bubble will never be burst. That it will continually be growing, that you will be growing in the knowledge of his will. And that your life will be bearing fruit. A life that pleases God. So that's the first person. Second, is there a person for whom your heart aches this morning? Your heart just aches for them. Someone who, you, you look at their present path and honestly, if it doesn't bring you to tears, it just, your heart is just burdened and filled. When you think about this person, your heart is heavy. Your heart is just heavy for them. Who is God calling you to renew your prayer efforts for today? For whom would you cry out, God, help them know who you are. Reveal yourself to them. Open the eyes of their heart, Lord, so that they may see you and know you and experience you and experience you in greater, more powerful depths. Or maybe the third one, maybe there's a person who is on your heart that has never known Christ. So the first one is the person that thrills you. The second one is the one that you just, God, would you just, that you, my heart aches for them. They know you, but Lord, would you, would you reveal yourself? Would they be open to more the knowledge of your will and lead a life that is more pleasing and, and a blessing to you and to others? Lord, would you multiply something in their lives that is already existing? But this third one, Lord, I am praying for this man, this woman, this child, who does not 
know you. There's no fruit in their life. In fact, they are in open rebellion to you. They, they, they'll spit on the name of Jesus Christ. They think it's silly, that it's folly, it's foolishness. And you go, Lord, open their heart. Totally open their heart. And maybe that's even, honestly, it could be somebody still sitting here this morning who has never responded. You, you've been doing the great Christian thing. You've been showing up at church, either faithfully or periodically, and you're, you're kind of doing the right thing, but you have never, never responded to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. He died for you, and you need to recognize this free gift of grace and say, Lord, I am a sinner. And I recognize this sin is a barrier to my relationship with you. Lord, take my life, all of it, all of my life. Have it and make me more like Jesus. Repent of your sins. Ask for God's forgiveness. Turn to him cling to him. This is the kind of God-centered, risky prayer of repentance. It's the kind that says, enough. Enough. I want to know God. So those are the three categories of people that we are going to be praying for. 